so I have to say this because we were together here for the Saturday night service. There is a little bit of green in the audience today. Were there some people watching the Spartans last night? Okay, well, I will have to say I, I picked them to get to the final four, but I was pretty impressed that they could beat UConn. But anyway, I'm a huge basketball fan, so in light of that, it's, ex it's exciting this morning to be here on Palm Sunday. And uh, let me just say this as we were praying for this service, Rod's going to be back next week, and he's going to be preaching on the resurrection as we were praying for this weekend services. It just really became clear to our hearts. It's hard to look at the resurrection if you can't look at the cross. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. And I know it was just a short time ago that Rod spoke on the crucifixion in Mark's gospel. We're going to be looking at it from Matthew's gospel this morning. But let me just tell you my prayer for us. Today, we want to see the cross elevated. We want to see the cross put in its rightful place. And more than just on the steeple of a church building, but more importantly, the cross elevated in our hearts. And because I cannot do that on my own, let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father, God forbid that we would glory in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, we say to you, come. Come in mighty power, Lord. Open up the eyes of our hearts to even a story that we've read countless times before. I pray that the crucifixion would become real in our hearts. That we would see you, your love for us, poured out on your Son, and that today in this very place, you would open up the eyes of our hearts, that you would draw us to you, and that we would be changed from the inside out. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to look to your word for spirit and truth. We bless your name, in Jesus' name, amen. The cross of Jesus Christ it's the signature symbol of the central event in the history of civilization. Did you know that this morning? The cross of Jesus Christ. There have been more sermons by more pastors and preachers preached on this very subject than any other in the Bible. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Throughout our world's history, if you look at all the important events that have ever happened in our world, none of them compare, none of them have impacted more lives than the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the signature symbol of the central event in the history of civilization. And I pray that the cross would become a reality for all of us this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew Chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. If you don't have a Bible, it would be a great time just to lift up your hand. We'd love to get a copy of God's Word to you. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture this morning. Love to have a copy of God's Word to you. We're going to be looking at verse 15. Matthew 27, verse 15. 
I'm going to be speaking out of the New American Standard Version. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent a message to him. This is Pilate. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. This literally means to destroy Jesus, to annihilate him, to erase Jesus from our memory. It's a horrible thing. But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what shall I do with Jesus? And he reminds them again, Jesus who is called Christ. And they said, crucify him. He said, well, why? What evil has he done? And they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, something starts burning in my heart and I get disgusted. I get frustrated. I get angry when I hear what's going on here, that there are two people on trial and it's Barabbas and Jesus. I'll be honest with you, it, just, it, it makes me angry at the heart to see what's really happening here. I want us to look at this story. Look at verse 15, it says, Now at the feast, this is the feast of the Passover. Today being Palm Sunday, we have this entire week, it's called the Passover. It's the celebration of faith. Passover is kind of like Christmas and New Year's combined. It's a very exciting time. But now at this time at the feast, we need to understand what's going on here in the time of Christ. There was a civil war going on. The Romans were occupying the nation of Israel. There was turmoil. There was a revolution going on all around people. People were being arrested and thrown into jail every single day. It was a difficult time for this nation. And so at this point, during the feast of the Passover, the governor was accustomed to release to the people a prisoner. Doesn't seem very common, does it? But to appease the people, to settle the people down a little bit for all the people that were being arrested, they were at that point during this celebration releasing one prisoner to the people. So Pilate says this, Whom do you want me to release to you? Now notice how they describe Barabbas. Look at verse 16. They says at the time they were holding a notorious prisoner. A notorious prisoner is famous for being evil. That's what it means to be notorious. He was a revolutionary. He was a person that people knew about. Okay, when you think about a notorious prisoner... It's not someone who just knocked over a 7-Eleven stand, spent a couple of nights in jail, and made bail. It's not someone who 
had a demerit in school and served a Saturday detention. A notorious prisoner is someone famous for being evil. People knew who Barabbas was. That's what disgusts me. Here we have the other man on trial, Jesus. And let me remind you who Jesus is, an innocent man who has done no wrong. The Messiah, Son of God, miracle worker, raised Lazarus from the dead, healed the lame and made the blind see. And here he is on trial. And Pilate goes to the people and says this, Whom do you want me to release to you? And they call out for Barabbas. I want you to look at verse 38. Fast forward to verse 38. It says this, At the time two robbers were crucified with him. This is referring to Jesus. One on the right and one on the left. Two robbers were being crucified. Robbers are not like burglars, okay? It's not people that may come into your house, take a couple of Gatorades and a flat screen TV and then hit the road. This is not burglars, okay? That was funny. You can laugh just a little bit, all right? Robbers here are referring to revolutionaries. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Now, in knowing that, one on the left and one on the right, these robbers being crucified, who do you think the cross was originally intended for? Barabbas. It's not a stretch in any shape or form of the matter to understand this. Jesus is physically taking the place of Barabbas. You start to understand the gospel when you understand this. Jesus in Barabbas' place. In the short term. But in the long term, closer to our hearts, Jesus in my place. Christ on the cross is substitution. Jesus in our place. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. That's what you and I deserve. We deserve death. But the gift of God is what? Is eternal life through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's substitution. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, an innocent man who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That's substitution. I want to ask you an important question this morning. What's he doing there? What's Jesus doing on the cross? He's subbing in for you. And he's subbing in for me. Christ on the cross. Substitution for sinners.
some of you don't know me that well. And I, I just want to say this, it's awesome to get to meet so many of you. I, it's been a privilege of charity and I just to be a part of this community. Over the last year, we have met so many great people coming to this church. And it's my hope that I'll get a chance to meet all of you. But in the short term, let me just say this. For those of you who don't know me, I'll just tell you briefly a little bit about myself. I was thinking of if people were only given one word to describe me, what would they say? And some of my closest friends would be like, Derek, you're, you're really a passionate guy. You just have passion written all over you. And some of you, I was with my sister a couple nights ago, and I asked her the same question, and she's just like, you know, you're Derek, you know. She says, you're, you're energetic, okay. You, you love life. And my uh, two-and-a-half-year-old daughter right now, she's totally infatuated with Mickey Mouse. I mean, she loves Mickey. We took her to Disney a couple weeks ago when we were on vacation. And so she thinks of me in terms of all the Disney characters. And so when, when I ask her, so, you know, Ella, who, who, what's daddy like? And she goes, you're goofy, okay? <laughs> I'm like this tall guy who I don't have, you know, his characteristics, but she thinks of me as being goofy. And let me just say this. My close family and friends, if they were honest with themselves and they were have one word to choose to describe me, they would have to say this. Derek Tages, sinner. Sinner. You say, well, Derek, hold on a second. You're a pastor at Crossroads. You shouldn't speak out so loud. Let me tell you who I am. I'm Barabbas. I'm a criminal. I'm famous for being evil. It was me that put Jesus to death. I'm the one that brought him to the cross. I'm the one that's rejected God's law. Jesus is taking my place because of my sin and my inability to follow him with my whole heart. All you see before you today is a sinner desperately in need of a Savior. Christ on the cross is substitution for sinners. Romans 5.8 says this, this is how God demonstrates his love for us. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to continue in the story with me this morning. Look at verse 27. Christ on the cross, substitution. But then look at verse 27. The soldiers, the governor, took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. 600 soldiers. They stripped him. Put a scarlet robe on him. After twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him, took a reed, and began to beat him on his head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him. They put on him his own garments, and they led him away to crucify him. 
as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. When they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, which is a narcotic. After tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And notice verse 35. And when they crucified him. And when they had crucified him. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves after casting out lots. The obvious understanding of the crucifixion will always point to Christ on the cross suffering. Suffering for the sin of the world. Isaiah 52 verse 14 says this, that his appearance was marred more than any man. Did you know that? His appearance was marred. That the form of his body was unrecognizable. Biblical scholars who have studied the crucifixion, some of them wondered if it was really even Jesus on that cross. They couldn't recognize him. Isaiah 53 verse 5, a verse that you're all familiar with should come into our hearts this morning, says this, that he was pierced for our transgressions. That's our sin. He was bruised and crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah 56 says that they pulled his beard out. You understand the suffering of Christ, him being whipped, flogged, and scourged, it's overwhelming to really think about what happened. Many of you have seen Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. I want to encourage you this week, if you have not seen the movie, there will never be a better day to watch it than this Friday. The universal response I've gotten from everyone that I've talked to who have watched The Passion of the Christ has said this to me. I've seen the movie, but I'll never see it again. The vivid images, and let me remind you that Mel Gibson is a sinful man. It's a sinful interpretation of what happened. Here's what I think of the movie. The Passion of the Christ is a toned-down version of what really happened. It's brutality. And he suffered for our sin. I'll never forget watching the movie. I saw it years ago, the, the first showing at midnight at a theater in West Chicago. I was with my wife and our good friends. And I'll never forget the scene in the courtyard, the scene that they're describing here in the text. Where Jesus is being whipped and beaten and spit on while the Romans are just laughing at him and mocking him. I'm an emotional guy. Just I broke down in the middle of the theater. I didn't care who was around me. It was seeing those vivid images were just overcoming me. 
My wife, Charity, couldn't handle it. She got up and just left and took a long restroom break. I'll never forget a couple days later, I was having a conversation with my mentor who I study the Bible with. I was describing him that scene in the movie, in the courtyard. And he said, Derek, how long was that scene? I said, oh, it felt like an eternity. I felt like I was watching it forever. And he said, realistically, how long was the scene? I said, probably seven or eight minutes. I'll never forget what he told me. Changed my life. He said, Derek, it would take countless years of continual beating to cover your sins. It's overwhelming. Who can understand the suffering of Christ on the cross for us? Why did he have to suffer so much? Because of our sin. Our flat out rejection of him in our lives. You understand the cross when you can get past the physical suffering and you can really understand the pain of the cross. I want you to look at verse 45. Christ on the cross is suffering. But then notice verse 45. Here's the real pain of the cross. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land. And until the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying this, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the pain of the cross. That's what's happening here. It is God the Father abandoning his Son. That's the pain of the cross. It's in the separation of the Trinity. Through eons of time, through the beginning of eternity, through the beginning of the limitless time, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit always together, always together. And now at this point, at the cross, when Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, we have this separation. Separation from God and the Son. Why does that have to happen? Because of sin. That's the pain of the cross. Christ on the cross suffering for sin. I've been doing some thinking as we're approaching Good Friday and I just want to encourage you if you're around this week, we're going to have a great time of reflection this Friday for a Good Friday service here at Crossroads. But let me just tell you as I've been studying this week, I've had a real hard time understanding why we call it Good Friday. I looked it up on the internet and the obvious reason is is simple. We call it Good Friday to remember what happened. The outcome of Jesus' payment for our sins, offering us eternal life. I'm not here to change the name of the date, but let me just tell you what I think about. There is Nothing good about that day. 
The cross is the ultimate crime. It is the greatest obscenity of all. It is the lowest point in the history of mankind. The outcome was good, but let me tell you, the events of that day were a mere tragedy. Some of you are going to approach this Friday. Let me tell you a fitting response and something that I do in my life. Mourn, weep, repent. The cross of Jesus Christ was the ultimate crime. I want to tell you this, though. Without sin, the cross is not needed. Did you know that? Without sin, the cross is not needed. And according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. Christ on the cross, suffering for sin. Let's continue in Matthew's gospel and let's look down at verse 51. Verse 51, I know for some of you this morning, This is a very heavy message. I'm just going to pray that you'll receive the freedom of the end of the story. Verse 51 says this, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion, who was with them guarding Jesus, when he saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, he became very afraid. And this is what he said. Truly, this was the Son of God. You start to understand the story and what's really happening here. When you can see this, according to John's gospel in John 19, when the temple was torn in two, it was torn in two after this, after Jesus spoke the three most powerful words in all of the scriptures. It is finished. It's over. It's done for. I did it. I came and completed my Father's will. That's what's happening on the cross. He is satisfying the will of God. That's why Jesus is there. And at this very moment, when he speaks those words, here is God's response. Paid in full. It's awesome. And at that very moment, we will understand Christ on the cross as this. It's a picture of grace. When he spoke those words, it is finished. At that very moment, the temple was torn in two. Not from the bottom as though man would have tore it. But God himself came down, tore open the temple. The gates of heaven were open. And he's beckoning us Come into my presence. My son has paid and suffered for your sin and now has offered you eternal life. It's awesome. 
Christ on the cross is a picture of grace. Grace. Do you know what grace is? It's a free gift. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. It's free. Listen to me, friends. For those of you who right now are wondering, you should be asking yourself this question. Have I received the free gift of God? Have you received God's grace in your life? Listen, you can't earn enough credit card miles to get this grace. You can't fill out a form to get this grace. You can't do enough good in this life to get this grace. It's free. All you have to do is believe and not in your head, but surrender in your heart to the King of kings and Lord of lords, to the one who has paid it all for you. That's the gospel. Jesus substituting for your sin, suffering for our sin, satisfying the will of God, and offering us a free gift. Who can describe the love of God? Some of you this morning, I can see it on your faces. Praise God for his Holy Spirit opening up our hearts. You have to ask yourself this question. Have I received the grace of God? Long time ago, a person asked me to answer this question. Derek, how would you describe a Christian? I really believe this simplifies it all. This is a follower of Christ. This person has realized this. They have stopped living for themselves And they have started living for the one who has paid it all for you. That's what it means to surrender your life and give him your whole heart. I will say this to some of you this morning. I really believe this in my heart. The number one obstacle in keeping people today from entering a relationship with Jesus is this. And some of you have been praying for these people in your life. Praise God for that. But people who have never truly understood God's amazing love for them and they can't get over the hump to surrender their lives, it's this reason. They don't understand the depth of their sin and their need for a Savior. Do you need God's amazing grace in your life? Here's what you're looking at this morning. A sinner. Saved by grace. For some of you this morning, the cross is more than just a way to salvation. A great way to remember the cross is to understand the true definition of grace. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1. Colossians chapter 1. Not only did God make a way for us through salvation, 
But this is the power of God's grace continuing on from now. Colossians 1 verse 13 says this. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. I just want to stop there. Did you know this? That apart from grace, we would all be in the domain of darkness. Apart from grace. Ephesians 2 says that by grace, you have been saved through faith. Apart from grace, we would all be in the domain of darkness. But notice this. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It's awesome. He's transferred us out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Some of you in this room, you have come in here and all you can think of when I talk about sin is how dirty and rotten you are. And some of you, if you've been like me and you just think about your sin and you wallow up in it, you can never get to the point to understand that the cross has bared it all. It's paid it all for your sin. That that's the sacrifice and the love of God. That your sin, if you believe in him, will be washed away. I want to tell you what I think of when I think of forgiveness. When I think of God's redemption in my life. No wrong that you have ever done will ever be held against you. Are you kidding Just think of all the bad choices you and I have made. Just think of all the times that we've rejected God's law, that we've slapped him in the face, that we've chosen our will above his. Just think about it. All of it. None of that wrong will ever be held against you. It's unbelievable. Who can fathom the love of Christ Who can put it in the category? Is there a word to describe it? It's called grace. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. I want to make it clear so you're not mishearing me this morning. Grace is not a license to sin. Romans 6.1, Paul says this. Shall we continue sinning that grace may abound? May it never be. Grace is not a license to sin. But I love this scripture says that he who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, if we've confessed it to the Lord, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's grace that redeems. Grace that redeems. And lastly, I want to bring you to this scripture. Don't turn there. Just listen to my heart. If you only understand the grace that redeems, you'll never understand the grace that will set you free. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this. You were formerly dead in your trespasses, but now you've been made alive in Christ Through the forgiveness of sins, who has canceled our debt and nailed it to the cross. 
That's grace. That's the overall message of the gospel. It's freedom. It's freedom. You don't have to will and revel in your sin if you confess it to the Lord. God will set you free. It's grace that releases. You'll be free from sin, free from the guilt and shame, free to live a life worthy of the one in which you've been called. The overall message of the gospel, freedom. Freedom. I love John 8, 36. It says this, In whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. About a week ago, last Sunday actually, I went for a jog in the afternoon after the service is one of the ways that I prepare for our student ministry nights is I like to go for a run and I like to just pray and worship and speak out the things that the Lord has laid on our hearts. And I don't know if you remember last Sunday, but there was about a two-hour snow shower. And it was the randomest thing because we haven't seen snow in a while. And I was over by East Grand Rapids and I get on my clothes and here I am, as soon as I step out the door, I see the snow coming down, and it was really incredibly beautiful. I was just enjoying being in the run, and then the next thing you know, every corner, every turn that I went to, it's like the wind was just pouring in these heavy snowflakes onto my body, and so I was just covered in white. And God just spoke to me right then. He said, Derek... Though your sins are as scarlet, I've washed them white as snow. I lost it. In the middle of East Grand Rapids, I had tears pulling down my face as I was running. I felt like a complete idiot, okay? God set me free. Set me free. That is the gospel. Your sins, if you're wondering where they are, they've been nailed to the cross. Christ on the cross, substituting for sin, suffering for sin, satisfying the will of God, and offering grace for all those who believe. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and here's how we're going to respond this morning. We're going to have an extended response this morning, and let me just tell you the different opportunities that you'll have. Just focus on me just for a minute. For some of you this morning, when you think of the cross, your heart leads to one place. A very fitting response for you this morning would be to take the elements of communion. We have a communion table over to the side. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't just grow up and grab the cracker and the juice, take the elements and walk away. 
truly ask God to open up your heart to meditate on his body and his blood for you. Be a powerful time of remembrance. Maybe some of you this morning, if you're like me, all you can think of is God's suffering for your sin. A very fitting response this morning would just be to have a time of personal confession and repentance, giving God the glory and reveling in his grace. Do that in your seat or wherever you can find a place in this room. Some of you are like this. You're overcome by the grace of God. Your only response is to worship him with all of your heart. And lastly this. There are some of you in this room I've been praying all morning for souls where the lights have come on where you have realized for the first time, no matter how you've grown up, that God sent his son for you to bring you out of death and into life. And for the first time, not just praying a prayer, you want to surrender your whole heart to Jesus. For some of you right now, there are people praying for you. They're probably sitting right next to you. If you're at that place where you want to, for the first time, stop living for yourself and start living for the one who's paid it all for you, just grab your neighbor and just say, I, I, I want to accept Jesus. I want to give him my whole heart. If you don't know anyone, just come down here to the front. I'd love to pray with you. Let me just say this about the cross. It's where the righteousness of God meets the mercy of God. The cross, it's the glory and the pain. It's the beauty and the shame. It's love, so amazing, so divine. It demands my soul, my life, my all. Christ on the cross is an overwhelming, indescribable picture of grace.